When my father had a catastrophic heart attack in my junior year, I quit high school for a semester to drive a delivery truck for my uncle's wholesale meat company. The chicken shack was our most distant customer, and once every week or so, after delivering to country restaurants with names like the Lariat and the Lazy J, I'd scuttle up the long road to Julian. On such days, Lee and I had a ritual. After the order had been put in the walk-in, he poured me a small glass of red wine. We talked briefly about my dad's health or the civil rights movement. He was pr proud that I had become active in San Diego Corps. Then, as I got up to leave, he'd slap me on the back and say, Read Marx! I've always liked telling this story and was not surprised when a garbled version of it insinuating that Lee was a mysterious Soviet agent appeared in my FBI file. Uh, that is from the preface of Old Gods, New Enigmas, uh, written by the now late Mike Davis, who passed away at the age of 76. Um, he obviously has left a big impact on this podcast and, of course, myself. He's definitely somebody that listeners, if you haven't read any of his works yet, please do. Uh, you will definitely not feel it is a chore or a task in any way, uh, especially given a lot of the people we all know are still living in Southern California. So therefore it makes sense to check out any of his uh, three books centered around Los Angeles. Yeah. The outpouring of tributes and obituaries to him has definitely been pretty, pretty surprising. Uh, and maybe it shouldn't be just given, and you know, pardon the pun, he did leave a bit of an earthquake in his wake following city of courts release in 1990. This episode is uh dedicated to him despite the fact that what we're going to talk about has nothing to do with him uh it just seemed appropriate to obviously acknowledging the passing of a pretty major public intellectual who for the most part lived a very private life and a pretty humble one too i mean again starting off as a truck driver and a butcher you know he somehow made his way back through the united kingdom writing for the New Left Review to come back to the dreaded West Coast and uh, become it, its prophet, its bringer of the apocalypse in a way, but also its its uh, Los Angeles's uh, official biographer, at least those are my words. So yeah, he will be missed. I don't know if anyone else has any words to share before we move on with the show. Can we post-fact dedicate the uh, museum episode to him? Hmm. Yeah, that'd be I a mean, good idea. We could. I mean, certainly it, he was brought up a good deal uh, when we went to the Griffith. So I know he also the that... crystal room because of the ports. <laughs> right. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, one thing I told Ryan when he was coming out to Boston is we were saying, who's the Mike Davis of Boston? There is none. I mean, everyone out here is obsessed with the Revolutionary War stuff, but there is no like modern author, uh, contemporary history author like this for Boston. So th I think there's that fun distinction that, you know, he there's like, who's the author of your city? Who's the biographer of your city? Like, who's the Mike Davis of the SCV specifically? For example? Oh, God, it's fucking John Boston, probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> regardless, <laughs> um, it's they would have hated like, each other. Oh, God. Well, everybody hates John Boston. So except Tim White. So sorry, Andrew, continue. No, I wasn't aware, but um no, we have one. We we have one. He's just a racist asshole. Yeah, but the, everybody, every city needs a Mike Davis, and Boston doesn't have one. So it's just like 
And Worcester, as far as I've talked to Ryan, I don't think has a very standout Mike Davis type figure. So for somebody for to say like, oh yeah, like this guy like knows my town inside out and not like a fiction type, like just a kind of a contemporary historian essentially is fun. So rest in peace and hopefully he inspires more Mike Davises. You three put a bow on it relatively nice. Um, you know, I would say to that last sentiment of, you know, wanting to sort of replicate the Mike Davis-ism depending on particular areas. And it's just like, well, on one hand, yes, you should, of course, take from his death. But also, if if there's no Bostonian uh, Mike Davis counterpart, you know, in that case, if that's who you aspire to be, then don't don't try to be another Mike Davis. Try to be another try try to just be you in in the area that you're living in if it's if it hasn't already been established like if the position isn't filled then fill it it's like there was no know. mike davis before mike davis there was right right and i'm sure i'm sure when people pass away or i guess it's more like emblematic of uh i see this example all the time within sports of all places um an avenue of which i have no <laughs> interest in but I think I remember like one one of the one like NBA player was like, oh, I want to be just like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or one of them. And another one was like, why are you trying to be like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan when you could just be you like, you know, not to not live in the shadow of, but don't stay in the shadow for so long. So, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting when artists or entertainers or even like people involved in literature want to have like this uh this idea that they're trying to be on the same page as someone else and it's like well it, there's no shame in just being on pun intended a different page entirely i think part of that also comes just from how entertainment is marketed and just the way people understand information and everything like for example when you're when you're pitching a movie or something you always have to pitch it in terms of some for hollywood at least execs always want it in terms of something that's always successful like oh what mm -hmm. is this most like because what can we market it like what can what audience audience can we target it it's so much harder to to market something that's brand new yeah and i think for for just for regular audiences when you say i want to be the next kobe or the next michael jordan they already have that idea of like that level of greatness it's it's i think it's a cultural shorthand and like that's not again I do think that you're, you're on par with it, Seb. Like, don't try to right. be like someone for too long. There eventually has to be a point where you stop being like them and you start just being you. But I think for just the the general masses, I think that's why people make those kinds of comparisons is because you're trying to get that that shorthand so people can instantly know, okay, this guy wants to be one of like the legends. Like, if you say, I want to be the next Draymond Green that doesn't really give you a lot of greatness it's like oh you're fouling out every game cool <laughs> but if you say i want to be the next michael jordan oh you right. want to be a legend okay i get it now that's where that's yeah. where your head's at if there was ever a term that i could actually borrow in my years of schooling believe it or not yes new things can be indeed learned um it was this one topic that caught my attention in the field of marketing they have this strategy which is called I think it's called like blue ocean strategies, strategization, 
And what that is, is that essentially as new markets open and as the demographics for certain niches become ever more narrow, there will be people to capitalize on that and build industries out of that and have ideas out of that. And what I found was that in someone molding and forging their own identity of wanting to be a particular thing, of course, they're going to take from what's already established. But if we know anything about biology, or if we know anything about chemistry, or really just play the play Bioshock, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, Fuck you know, love Bioshock, you know, cut and paste or copy and paste. Yeah, you're gonna get a duplicate, but there's going to be some sort of degradation to it. Um, you're not gonna live up to that original. What that means is that, you know, essentially, for every Hydrox, you have an Oreo, for example, if we're going to go back to our last example. But in some instances, there are industries which end up propelling further than the original. And in this case, with blue market or blue ocean strategization, eventually the hypothesis is, is that every single niche demographic that you can think of, and even some that aren't even conjured up yet, because who the hell knows what people are thinking on a daily basis? there will be an industry for it and there will be someone to like make their mark in their way like it'll be a new trailblazing thing every single time so you won't have to worry about being the next uh uh Mike Davis anymore because you're going to be the ne- someone's going to be like oh man I wish I was the next Ryan Mancini or you know <laughs> any one of us because that market's already going to be established, done so, and then when all four of us die out, I hate to sound morbid, I'm sure someone's going to rifle through the audio archives of the internet and be like, oh, uh, you know, these people had some good points. How do I take from that? And then they go do their own thing. Uh, long-winded explanation that I hope makes sense, but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting how people want to be other people and live in their shadow. But like I said live in it just don't stay in it always fascinated me uh about him is just the fact that he certainly did his best to never be in anyone's shadow despite the fact that throughout his whole life given the fact that this was a guy who like he he straight up admitted like when he was really young he was a typical kind of patriotic rah rah conservative who didn't really know a whole lot beyond where he lived growing up in Fontana. And, you know, it really wasn't until he became, you know, he was older and, you know, watched the the sort of counterculture of the 60s and especially the protests and civil rights movement come to Southern California in the 1960s that he did start going off in that direction of reading the likes of Marx and Eugene Debs and especially a lot of the socialist and communist leaders in Southern California at that time. But it's not as though he he ever looked at them as necessarily a model for how he should approach things because he was his own tough guy. Like, I think that's, what's always kind of hilarious watching. He he did a ton of interviews um, in the last couple of years, probably the most that I've ever seen him do mainly obviously because of COVID and the fact that he, kind of predicted that a pandemic would come uh, within the next 15 or so years after 2005, 2006, when his book, The Monster at Her Door came out, or The Monster at the Door or something like that. And uh, I have the 
revised edition that's called The Monster Enters because, well, the pandemic came. Um, but he certainly was somebody who, despite his demeanor and despite being at times pretty brazen with what he had to say, and obviously he had every, he kind of had every right to, you hear a lot of stories about him unleashing like reptiles and amphibians upon the offices of the New Left Review. Um, he once got in a tiff with an American professor where he basically said his response back to this person for who was criticizing his work um, simply responded back with, uh, dear professor, fuck you. And I mean, obviously, given the fact that he was like, again, a truck driver and a, a meat cleaver, like he had he had kind of this veneer to him that was so different from a lot of the more educated types that you get with your. Noam Chomsky or whoever else. So he he comes off as a much more relatable character. And on top of that, given the fact that he decided not to do a book about the LA riots, he decided, no, I that, that's not the kind of thing I want to do about this situation. Instead, he acted with the gangs in parts of Southern LA, uh, South LA, and basically was like, no, I'm going to help you guys out with having there be truces so we can actually like make something meaningful out of this nightmare that has fueled and, and intensified in this part of the city and try and work together to make sure everybody's lives can improve from this, from this great Holocaust occurring in 1992. So he, he does in a lot of ways come off as obviously the, soothsayer of doom but at the end of the day he was very hopeful and I, you know i have some final words at the end I'll, I'll quote about his feelings on hope um and there's certainly not a hope and change hope but coming from the standpoint of somebody who in a lot of ways wished he would he died fighting but the fact that it was complications that with uh esophageal cancer it's that same feeling of well i was in this struggle i fought it for years i'm watching my children now fight it and it's going to be even worse for them with the growing dystopia climate change rising nationalism the likes of which we haven't seen in decades it, it's that standpoint of there could still be something better around the corner and i'm hopeful for it but just so you know everything's going to get worse before it gets better i think it's very clear that you like you looked up to mike davis as kind of like an inspiration or, or someone like you you respected a, a lot um and, and now that he's gone it's like kind of reminding me just of like how i felt when bourdain passed so how are you handling this as like losing kind of a, a, a hero of yours is what how i look at it it's also really strange merely based on the fact that this is the first time that someone within sort of the intellectual space that i've liked has passed away and i think too in a lot of ways it, it didn't come off as a surprise simply because it already came out over the summer that he was terminally ill. I think if anything, it was just the timing of it because there were a few posts from people that claimed they knew him that were like, oh, he's doing well. And not only is he doing well, he's already writing another book, which sounds encouraging. But I, I watched one of his last interviews and he looked he, he he really was not looking all too great. And he made it abundantly clear I am not finishing this book. So from the standpoint of how I'm handling it, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's sad naturally, but I think if anything, what was given me a little bit more of a boost uh, is just 
a lot of the people that came out and had something to say about his cancer diagnosis over the summer typically came from people from the left and especially more left-wing journalists that look up to him because they get him and they look at what his critiques and arguments had to say about the world and thought, this guy gets it, this guy makes sense. And the irony is some of those journalists got the, oh, you could be the next Mike Davis. And they were all kind of like, uh, say what now? I think if anything, it was the outpouring from like Slate, for example, or the the Nation one wasn't wasn't a surprise because his co-author from uh, his last book, Set the Night on Fire, writes for the Nation, John Wiener. So, you know, it, it was kind of like, OK, the Nation I expected. Yeah, ju again, just the outpouring of tributes. And again, even the L.A. Times, which um, the person that wrote his obituary, um, I believe her name is Carolina Miranda. I actually got to see her in person with friend of the show, fellow sundialer Pete years ago at the it was one of the it was an early gathering of the Los Angeles Times Union Guild. And she was one of the sort of main proponents of that. And she, she's she's a phenomenal writer, but she wrote the obituary and she did a phenomenal job, I thought. And it's especially funny coming from a newspaper that when City of Courts came out, really criticized him and really hated the book. And obviously it's a different paper. It's a different paper now than it was 30 years ago. I guess the, the short answer is it, it certainly doesn't upset me. And I mean, it's again, it is upsetting. Someone I admired passed away, but I think the fact that he has left any impact at all certainly tells me that, you know, there, there's going to be plenty of people out there that follow, follow his words to a T or at the very least will look to his work as inspiration for how to deal with this really bizarre world that we happen to live in. I know that we were going to br bring up yay, but if I could just take 10 minutes to just discuss what the hell was experienced last night. Um, Please do. I'm so, I'm so curious. <laughs> okay. I know, so we keep teasing this. So I'm waiting well for this, this out before time. we talk about so, uh, so there is Elon. there is textual proof of my efforts last night in order to have a good time at this Halloween party. Now, in the Santa Clarita Valley area, there is a private arts college. It is one of the best in the nation. It's CalArts. And um, I had went with my girlfriend and a couple of mutual friends because apparently this was supposed to be like, like the hot ticket item of the year. Like these these parties are insane. Like they put down tarps and shit in the grass to keep people from puking and passing out. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of like rooms, like standalone rooms, like hosting EMT services and, and such. But obviously it's a Halloween party. It's not Halloween because this year Halloween happens to fall on fall on a Monday. I, I, I like dressing up. I dressed up as like a fireman. Um, just something I kind of slapped together. And I'm going into this wanting to have a good time, you know, wanting to get outside of my shell. Like, I'm no stranger to parties, as Ryan obviously knows, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, how do you have fun when you're outside of your element? And me being outside of my element is I don't know anyone. Okay. That's never stopped me before, but we get there. And it's like dead. It's absolutely dead. They have this whole vent. They have this whole venue. They have this separate area where you can drink alcohol. Which, by the way, you it's not political when I say this whatsoever. God, I hope not. But I cannot stand overly expensive 
alcohol on a predominantly liberal campus whose students, might I add, think it tastes amazing. Okay. I would rather just drink hard liquor, right? But when you're surrounded by so many people saying, oh my God, it tastes so good. It was only like 12 something bucks. I'm like, only 12? What? Excuse me? Did you not I mean, see the, in this, in did you this not economy, see the $50 yeah. Uber I had to take to get here? <laughs> to drive 13 minutes? Like, are... Is it gold schlager? Like, I'm curious now. <laughs> it was like this, Um, it was basically boxed wine. Yeah, which no, I cool see your now. expression. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was cool basically now. boxed wine. And they were advertising it as something like, hey, like, come try this. It's something you've never experienced before. I'm like, okay. I've had boxed as, wine before. Bitches. As if, yeah, you ever been to a fraternity party? Boxed uh, wine. Uh, oh, been to your grandma's house? Yeah. As if there's so many different ways to get drunk. I feel like if you've seen yourself drunk once, you've seen it all. Okay. But, I'm literally sitting there and again, extremely niche meme if you haven't played the video game, but one of the first lines of the video game Hotline Miami 2 is one of the main characters, his name is Tony, and he wears a tiger mask. He's sitting there at a party and his first line, I think the first line in the entire game is, man, this party stinks. I fucking hate these people. And I'm just like, dude, it picked up, you know, People were wearing less and less as the night went on. The highlight of the night was either people doing cocaine in the bathroom or girls crying on the stairs. Okay. Were they actually doing? Cal Arts is a clothing optional school. So if there was. Oh, yeah. And I had to find that out. Not the hard way, but more so like, uh, I felt like the boomer walking in there because obviously I don't go to Cal Arts, but it's one of those things where it's like, there's people literally just wearing pasties and, you know. Like the like the George Lopez line, like a corn chip and two dimes, basically. And I'm like, what? So I ask, I'm like, is this like, is this something that happens here? And my girlfriend's like, yeah, it's a clothing optional school. They had one guy here who just walked. He was like a nudist. And I'm like, is this where everyone bohemian and santa clarita just sort of migrates to just just this one big open campus area like what the fuck (laughs) um but it really did and i'll and i'll wrap it up with this it really did kind of show my true colors of the fact that like i'm getting old okay and these types of parties where you just go to to like drink to get drunk and not care about who you're with or like hook up or you know see someone stumbling down the stairs which again is a fucking highlight for me because it's not that i prey on people's misery but you know i i chuckle at it every now and then (laughs) i've only ever been to uh one Uh, cal arts party thing it was it was less of a party also more like a uh, cinco de mayo kind of celebration art installation semi-party mm-hmm. kind of thing and i think because partly it was be- it was a- an art installation that people weren't going like super crazy and super drunk they were mostly just noshing on tamales and shit right but i don't know i feel like i haven't yeah. i haven't seen cal arts and its craziness according to one of our old co-workers cory rubin like you have to go to a a, a cal arts graduation because that is an experience like no other. And they, apparently they go all out with like costumes and whatever. Um, and it's their graduation. I was there they when should. he said that. Yeah. 
it's their graduation as they should go all out. I would expect nothing less from Cal Arts, but it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, having been around like private school kids and artsy kids, and I'm an artsy kid myself, but I just, I don't feel like they know how to party. I feel like they, they, don't. they, 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 they don't. learn partying the- from movies. And that's like, even then that's like 40 year old guys writing these scripts who don't also don't know how to party. So the highlight of know. a typical <laughs> the highlight of a typical theater kids night at 2 a.m. is not a party and it's not doing drugs or alcohol. It's going to Denny's. It's going to IHOP. OK, see, right? I like that part, like, too. I like that part, too, because it's like it's more realistic. At the end of the night, I'm tired. I'm hungry. It's freezing. At one point in time, people are like, take your shirt off. And I'm like, no, it's 50 degrees. No, and the people fifty degrees at what time of night? Dare I ask? (laughs) Like nine ish. Like it was early. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's too early to be shirtless. Yeah, you, you Bostonians, whatever. But I'm just like even a Bostonian. What are you talking about? You're you're more East Coast than me. Yeah, you're Worcester sauce. Colder out there too. Sauce I can't even pronounce. But everyone's like, oh, let's go to this party. Then let's go to this after party. Oh, my God. You want to go home? Why? And I'm like, God, way to be a school of acceptance. Holy shit. Can I get some food, please? I'm getting old. You know, at tw- at the ripe age of 24, I'm getting old. And my you body. Think you're getting old at 24, bro. Wait until your birth. Wait until your next birthday. That's when everything not only becomes clear. But it's all like, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? That's when it, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm breaking the mold here because I got it. Believe me, speaking as the guy who turned 25 and thought 2020 is going to be really great. And at that <laughs> point, I was like, oh, nobody expects now. Everything's yeah. going to make more sense. And then nobody expects March to wake hit. up. Nobody expects to wake up and poop their pants. You know, nobody even expects to prepare for the worst in some cases. But like in this case, I'm sitting here reading the room as i've been you know known to do thinking to myself oh really i'm tired i'm hungry it's not that i'm uncomfortable but i want a hot shower i want a hot meal i just want to go to bed you know i could even stand picking up a book and reading a few pages before i you know knock out so i don't know and I think what it is is that you oftentimes find a lot of people, a lot of art kids, and I think I was this way too when I uh, began my undergraduate career because I was an art kid and I wanted to lash out because lash out like partying, not, you know, breaking the law. Uh, You know, I did both by joining a fraternity. No, no. Uh, (laughs) But I had my fill. And then when the, the time was enough, I was just like, okay, you know, like, Put a bow on it. I'm fine with it. To the odds and ends of people who were doing like hard shit, hard drugs by the end of the night, I was like, all right, you know, to each their own, but your body's going to hate you in the morning. And lo and behold, we end up getting text messages of people doing, being like, bro, I did too much. And I'm like, wow, really? You didn't pace yourself? It's a performance at that point. It's like, I yeah. can go hard because this I can is go what hard you do at a party. Have oh, you ever my. tried just like sitting back and people watching? Yes. Like if oh, you yes, if you really want to know, 
who your peers are, not even who your friends are, because you're never going to see these people again at random parties. If you really want to know who your peers are, don't drink at a party and just sit back. <laughs> Let the magic begin. Or do what Andrew and I did, which is sit back, drink, and then just watch a bunch of people not from Rhode Island hang out in Rhode Island and just sit back and enjoy. That's what I did. That's what we did recently. And That's it was right. Great. Yeah. It was funny, like bringing in and like, I guess it kind of fills in the same point of like, I give them a pass because they're kids and you all have to go through that. You know, I'm sure like, I don't know your frat experience, but like I only glean from what I see on TV of just like, oh, like I bet your first day that you that you became official, you guys played Edward 40 hands and played beer pong. All, like, I know. like Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not sitting here on my high horse saying that people should just grow up and stop drinking. You know, I'm not I'm not a prohibitionist in any regard. God, no. But I think what I am tired of seeing is individuals knowing that they can't hang but are so indicative of the peer pressure around them that they feel as though they have to keep up. And it's like, buddy, I wasn't even peer pressured in high school when it came to doing these things. Because I think even back then, we knew the financial stake of like buying beer, buying marijuana. Like, if you're not going to have any, cool, we're not going to make fun of you. I know like a lot of movies kind of perpetuated that with like bullying and shit. That never happened to me. That never happened to me in college. And I think there is a time where people sort of have their limits or like, yeah, I'll just drink like one or two beers or I'll take a toke, you know, or something to that effect. But it's it's you're exactly right, Matt. Like people are keeping up with an act. People want to fit in. Like it sounds so stupid thinking about this as like a, a mid 20 year old, but like is this what people are really concerned about at this point? Like it's everything in CalArts is a performance. Literally from this, mm -hmm. everything, everything about CalArts is a performance. It's an artistic yeah. statement. Literally the way they live, the, the whole clothing optional thing, it's part of their artistic statement. Yeah. Everything about it. So, so it's, it's an act. And yeah. I guess by and large unauthentic. Oh, did I say that out loud? Oops. Sorry. I Sorry. mean, okay. just wait till you get to like 30, yeah. you know, for instance. And then like I was, I was so Ryan joined us for a party mm -hmm. in, in Rhode Island. And it was just a bunch of like people Ryan's age to a little bit older than me. Like, so like, I don't know, like 27 to 34 maybe was the crowd. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I texted uh, Ryan in one of the chat with the boys. I'm just like, Ryan, are you down to come to this? And um being pete who you guys know um responded like z z z and it's just like you know yeah, it's he just wouldn't like, he, he wouldn't have been invited anyway <laughs> yeah but it's just like the kind of thing i because i told him i'm just like it's a party where we're gonna sit around and have beers and some people did get tipsy but mm -hmm. people who got tipsy were like i better slow down hey can you drive me and it's just like right you know these people i'm sure have have the rage in them but like they also are responsible adults so um, it's just one of those things and there was you know the whole Denny's 2 a.m. trips when you're an adult there's just like the offer of food at these parties at 2 right. a.m. just there so you know uh, and yeah you're right those 2 a.m. 4 a.m. insert late time here parties after mm -hmm. the party are, are Denny's trips norms never been or like fucking the love best. norms <laughs> I've never been it's where I life happens it. it's all right all right I, when y'all come back to california and visit we're, we're going to norms oh man I, I went to norms after it was the night uh 
Kenneth Barry graduated. And I mean, it was, you know what? I, I'd go back. It, it's, I think it's a less Denny's, but. Oh, you take that back. Them's fighting words. Man. Denny's is just so clutch, though. Two, four, you six, end, eight. You end up at Denny's. You go to Norm's. You end up at Denny's. And not yeah. not that well, Denny's, the, the better one across town. Well, <laughs> but hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like the Hotel California. You don't just go there. You end up there. Same mm-hmm. premise with Denny's. Well, you end up yeah, at Denny's I, and you're I'm not, like, I'm taking, oh, I will take no be Such a lovely place. You know, that's a good vibe check for the kids parting to say, like, what's your 2 a.m. spot? You know, oh, McDonald's. Oh, the bar. Duh. Like, you know, let's see what they're going to say. And if they don't say your norms, your Denny's, then I, I just Chipotle. Like, I, I just feel like it's so it's such a culture shock to relive my high school days as being a theater student myself, because here I am suggesting here I am extending an olive branch of like, hey, we're obviously tipsy and hungry and it's late. Let's go to Denny's. And they're just like, no, let's go to this after party. And it kind of hit me in the face. I'm just like, oh my God, my old tactics aren't even working at this point. Like, like these people don't want to slow down and I'm scared. Well, it makes me wonder, like, and, and I'm obviously not going to mention anyone by name, but it makes me wonder to a slight degree. And when I say it makes me wonder to a slight degree, I mean, I'm not going to reach out to these people and ask because They don't have my trust or respect or attention anymore, but friends of mine and Seb's who we were in contact with both just prior to COVID. And I mean, obviously while we were in college, we were in contact with these folks, but we were in more regular contact just prior to COVID and during COVID in the first year. And they were very much the people of the opinion of you go all in every time within the first hour and you're like you don't need to and i i vividly remember one fateful encounter with them where i brought a bottle of bourbon with me because i was like i just like to drink a little bit of bourbon i'm not gonna go nuts and they wanted to go nuts so it was sort of like look guys i'm i'm trying to be the adult here you guys don't want to fine but don't drag me into it and then throw me under the bus after the fact and you know, they certainly weren't totally like that. The the fateful night we had just prior to the end of the world. Uh, uh, well, more like the eve of the end of the world, March 13th, 2020. But it was also just the fact that after that, they were still talking about that kind of stuff as though they hadn't all graduated from college. And mind you, these were all a bunch of friends that were between my age and Sebastian's age. So it was sort of like, okay, guys, what, when, when do we kind of grow up a little bit here? When do we all realize that we're not 21 or 22 anymore and we're approaching 30? And obviously I say that more now because there is more proximity to turning 30 than there was back then. But I mean, for goodness sake, it, you know, the older you get, you don't continue to be the same person that the same you don't turn out to be the same animal you were in college to borrow a a term from karen allen in uh animal house like you just don't some people do and some people can manage it and maintain it um but it's not for everybody to just keep on being a frat boy i mean i wasn't even a frat boy but like in 2017 to 2018 i was an absolute monster well not absolute monster i was a i was a little wild child when it came to partying 
in that period of time. And it's like, I hadn't done it for the first three years of college. So my senior year and the year after like, okay, I can, I can do this. Like I'm going to have fun, but like, and the last party I went to was in, I think it was August. Yeah. It was August of this year. And like, I had, I didn't feel the desire to go super hard. Like normally Unicamp parties are insane. Like people are just, it's full of everybody. Everyone's drunk as fuck. Like there's throwing up, there's making out in the bathrooms. There's people hooking up. There's probably some drugs somewhere, but like this one, it was more of a kickback. And like, it's, it got to the point where it's like, yeah, this is where I'm happy to be at where I'm just having a couple beers I'm dancing and we're playing rage cage and we're just hanging out. Like no one is going too hard. No one's pressuring anybody to go too hard. There's not too many people around. It's like, I'm just reconnecting with people I haven't seen in a couple years. So anyway, E. Yeah. Yeah. Kanye. No way. Yeah. Kanye. No, it's, Yeez, it's, it's Kanye and it's Yeezy. Ugh. So it's, it's yay. Are we discussing Kanye West and Elon Musk, or is it just one or the other, or what's happening? Oh god, I, I forgot I about Elon. It's because if, if we're if we're discussing both, I could just knock out one of them with a joke. It's a it's I don't a tired have joke. Strength to do, to do both of them. I hate Elon too much. It's gonna sap me. Okay, well, well, we'll, we'll keep it we'll keep it joke. short then. Um, All right. Well, I mean, um, I, I guess if was he the one you were going to destroy, Sebastian? Oh, oh no, I was just going to make a joke about how yay! Now we have the world's richest African American who now owns Twitter. I'll let your uhs and boos and hisses. Yeah, okay, I'll hear them out. Um, I know South Africa technically, but like it's funny to make that joke every now and then when Elon does something because to the people saying that they hate him. That's like the go-to gotcha moment that people have. And I find it hilarious that in the spur of gimmick accounts, like gimmick Twitter and Instagram accounts that are just like stuff Elon does that pisses me off. Uh, step one, <laughs> buying Twitter. I'm just like, buddy, I, I need people to just take several steps back. Like, I understand what's at play here. And for as like dad humor let that sink in when he actually brought in a sink into Twitter <laughs> headquarters. As much as I thought that that was that warranted a, you know, breathing out the nose kind of chuckle. You already know my opinion on celebrities. I don't stalk them like TMZ does. I don't follow up on every single nuanced thing and diatribe that happens in their life that people can get in a tiff over. And to the, to the bootlickers, you know, invariably through their phones, sucking him off. I find reason as to why, because that doesn't seem like a good use of my day. I could be wrong, you know? I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my take. Well, it, it wasn't even a take. It was just, you know, <laughs> two minutes of nothing because I don't have an opinion on someone who doesn't who doesn't affect me in my day-to-day -day livelihood. And it's only the drama that I find interesting because it's fun to revel in people's boohooisms. because half the time, the takes that are out there are genuinely feral. I mean, um, the fact that it's just been a news story for so long kind of dampens the impact. I mean, that too, it's just been in the news for so long. And 
you know, let's, uh, I think we really can't make too much judgment because yeah, he fired everyone and kudos to those guys who pretended to be laid off Twitter employees. What was their name? Oh my God. That was hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) I know their names weren't like Mike Hawk, but like they had some Mike Hawk and like something Ligma and something (laughs) Johnson. And I'm like, buddy, we are truly, but it's just been like, I, I, I need to see like stuff actually happen. You know, is he going to ban Italian Elon Musk saying like, I must pasta the Twitter, like, you know, stuff like that (laughs) makes sense. But there's a lot of Elon Musk parody accounts. Is he going to ban that? Like, let's see what happens first. I'm not, I don't even want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm just coming from this perspective of nothing to be outraged at yet, I guess. And I hate, I feel like it's funny too, because the one article that keeps like popping up in the news is like, n-word usage up over 500 percent since elon took and i'm just like okay so that's a win i get like what is this being spun to exactly and i get it that like when there's a global tragedy or when there's like any semblance of like tinfoil hat conspiracy theorisms or what have you like 4chan is immediately the first boat off of ellis island okay like they they're they're in the gate but I'm just I'm looking at that. I'm just like, dude, OK, maybe it was funny the first time when like I was 14. Edgy comedy was my whole personality. But like now I'm looking at it and I'm just like, OK, so. Now you've essentially created a more unusable platform, not for its lack of like. I guess dark humor, because that just increased, but more so just like, OK, I already hated Twitter enough, and that content hasn't gone away. It's just the stuff that was being masked and hidden is now in the light. You know, Trevor Phillips, what happens in the dark must come in the light, Mikey. And now all of it's bad. All of the content is just fucking abysmal. So yet another reason, I guess I don't use Twitter, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't. I, I think TLDR. I didn't think it could get worse. And for me, it wasn't the fact that Elon took over Twitter that made it worse. It was the fact that the people, people's reactions to such, th- that was what kind of spurred it. Because it's like, okay, people assume new ownership of companies all the time that go virtually under the radar. But I don't care. It doesn't affect me as I don't really think it should because. Like our previous discussions with, you know, films, I don't have any stake in this. I don't have any, you know, contributions to this project that's happening, this business deal that's being solidified here. Like, what is my opinion going to do? I think a lot of the opinion about Twitter and Elon comes from the fact that he invites, welcomes and relishes in the trolling, misinformation, hate speech that his community of loyal fan douchebags brings about like mm-hmm. elon is not i don't think i don't think elon's a good person i don't think he invites a good following i think he stands for a lot of wrong things he creates this cult of mystique around him like he's built himself up but no you you've got blood emeralds on your on your legacy boy don't yeah. don't act like you're this genius savior and i think it was it's because he's mining more tes- emeralds than i did in than I did in ninth grade, Minecraft, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he's cultivated this thing just around Tesla and everyone thinks he created Tesla, but no, he just bought the fucking company. 
Um, and it's it's I don't know how it started, but the fanboy cult around Elon has gotten so bad. And I think people are worried that now that he's taken it over, they're worried that he's already like, I think I can't remember who it was, but there's this one person who got banned for hate speech and just spreading awful misinformation that is now back on Twitter. People are worried that he's going to invite Trump back. And then it's just going to be a whole issue of a lot of, a lot of that discourse that, surrounded the trump era is just going to come back with a, with a vengeance and a resurgence i think that's what the main issue is is it's not like oh i just i hate elon it's like oh fuck what is elon gonna do now that he has access to this huge platform that a lot of people use that's like very easily accessible and it's not like it's not niche like like 4chan is kind of niche like everyone knows that mm-hmm. it's 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 a hellscape but twitter right. is still it's fairly mainstream it's used for business i i fucking work on twitter every day yeah right like like businesses will use it people will use it news outlets like legitimate news outlets will use it like i remember when i was applying to intern at the la times i didn't have a twitter and the woman's like oh okay you don't have a twitter let me make a note of that kind of a thing yeah it's interesting because like if if we're looking at it in regards to like the people that it's attracted since this sort of new position acquisition it's really indicative of like pre dot com bubble internet era wild westian type stuff that admittedly 4chan is still like guilty of being and it's one of those things where it's like oh anything could happen on the internet any any such thing like there's no essentially the the I don't know if I want to call it red tape. I don't think that that's like the proper example, but like now the barricades have lifted. Anyone can just come in. And I think what makes me kind of question even more is the fact that the people screeching about Twitter being the way it was pre Musk and shuffling their tepid asses over to parlor because, oh my God, Twitter is the way it is. Well, now, now it's the way you want it to be quote-unquote, because Elon's here. Okay, what? Now people are just gonna... They're just gonna flock or gravitate or, or, you know, what have you. Like, I mean, I'm not on either, but, like, I can safely say that, like, when Tumblr had uh, come under fire for, like, posting porn or whatever, and people were no, flocking people to Twitter... Were, it was yeah. people who were not allowed to post porn anymore. People not allowed to post porn. People, and people liked go, people yeah. liked the porn on Tumblr. Then Tumblr mm-hmm. took it away and then they went to Twitter because Twitter allows you to post porn. Yeah. So now it's just a matter of like, okay, where where are you feckless asses going to go next? You know? It's like, why can't you just migrate and stay? <laughs> you know? Like, 4chan is an oddity in and of itself because you don't stay on 4chan. You don't create an account there. You just look at fucked up things because that's literally an art gallery of what it is and it's not meant to stay there there's no like longevity in contrast to say having a twitter account where you have a virtual downloading of data i.e your timeline you can you can export that you know and it shows who you were like your digital footprint i guess but i I don't know. I guess I just wonder, like, if if people are just going to stay in one spot or if they're going to migrate due to this, you know, like they couldn't be happy with their own little corner of the Internet where I guess this was okay. 
now they have to go somewhere else, you know, just because of a change like this. I think they're going to stay in the same spot merely off the fact that the, for one thing, the number of people that are actually on Twitter is surprisingly low. And you compare that with other websites like, you know, all your right-wing social networking outlets, but also, you know, throw truth social into the equation. There's like nobody there except Trump and Gavin Newsom and maybe like a handful of Trump supporters. And that's about it. Like, and, and the irony to it is because people want to stay in a performative fight with their perceived enemy. And so I, I, I kind of look at what's gone on with Twitter as just a regurgitation of what we saw in January 2017, where the whole, and we've talked about this before, we don't need to relitigate it, but the whole hashtag resistance thing, you're going to have people being on Twitter being like, oh, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm fighting the rebellion against the, the evil dictatorship of Musk and what he could bring back to Twitter, whether it's bringing back Kanye, who the reason why we kept teasing Kanye is because he's been, um, frankly, a big, that's who we brought back a big fucking abominable train wreck that I don't understand why anybody thinks he's genius either really anymore. Like I, I was never a fan of him to begin with and Oh gee, a musician who thinks he's Jesus. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one before. Hey, Charlie. Okay, fine. Elon Musk brings Kanye West back. And then you look at the list of everyone else he could bring back and it's like, Oh, it's like Trump officials and, and Trump. So to me, I don't think there's going to be that much of a difference in terms of, oh, is there is there a way like liberals are going to make their own Twitter? Of course not. It's it's there's no there's not going to be a reaction the likes of which we saw with Truth Social. People are going to stay put because they're going to still think they're fighting some kind of hashtag resistance in a place where, again, most Americans don't give an itch what goes on on a social media platform. They care more about what's you know, what food they're going to have at their dinner table. And that's what they vote for. It's only the people that are the political junkies that are overly obsessed. Maybe I'm speaking for somebody on this episode. We'll see uh, that, you know, we'll go to social media and treat that as a reliable resource to not only understand what is going on in the moment, but obviously to follow news to the point about uh, its importance. Yes, it's basically minority rule with social media, but I mean, it was inaugurated by Obama. You now have official Twitter accounts by American presidents being logged into the library of Congress as if they were, you know, some kind of some, basically a documentation that can be used for historians down the line. Trump got sued for deleting his tweets. Yeah. I look at this whole fiasco and it's like, yeah, Twitter might suck a little bit. I actually, one point, Andrew, I kind of want you to, talk a little bit about it a point that you brought up that it's at this point it's the only thing that really has me genuinely concerned about this whole occurrence is what happens if musk tries to make more of a profit off of twitter by having something akin to a paywall and i don't know if you had any more thoughts on that beyond just that alone but i mean just if he does that you know like how he says i'm gonna improve twitter's business model okay genius let's see and like if you put a paywall twitter's over i mean nobody likes paying for anything so it's twitter will be over then and there now 
I don't know if he's ever said anything about that, but you know, it's interesting, like you said, too, like who is really on Twitter and the reason his deal almost fell apart because of all the bots. I mean, it's I, I just think it's going to be the kind of thing, too, where it's going to take years for this to migrate. I mean, how long did it take for us to move from MySpace to Facebook, from Facebook to not Facebook to anything else other than Facebook? So I, I, I don't unless like Elon Musk can tweet like, you know, like, the worst things in the world or in allow the worst people on the world, but it's going to take years. So I, I feel like a paywall would be an insta death, but I just think it's going to be years before we see people migrate because in the age of the internet, we don't have a long history of it, but you know, I think it, people take time to move on from these things, you know, maybe not really. Oh, like, like with, with TikTok, TikTok. I mean, it was something oh, before TikTok, but boom, picked it up. Vine, boom, picked it up. Uh, as soon as those became popular, Instagram, boom, they they stole those concepts. It's, I think what you're referencing a time where MySpace was the very first thing and Facebook then came about and it was still in the early ages. But then as now social media, he's become kind of central to how people use the internet. Um, it, people are moving away from it, like slowly but surely, like people are kind of, oh, I don't want to be logged on all the time. But for, for the population that still uses it, like Snapchat or th there's there's the early adopter phase where people want to become celebrities on these platforms. So as soon as a new one comes up, they're going to hop ship as fast as they can, develop their, um, their fan base as fast as they can so that they can be verified and be celebrities, be personalities, make money off of it. And that doesn't always ring true. Like if you look at what happened with Clubhouse. Clubhouse was going to be the big thing. You had to be invited to it. It was going to be this like big forum where people could host their talk spaces, which never took off because I think also Twitter, and I don't know if Twitter is going to keep doing this. I think they had plans to get rid of it anyway, but Twitter took that and incorporated it to its own business model. And then now Clubhouse is kind of gone because you had to be invited to Clubhouse and they were slowly rolling it out. Twitter saw it, implemented it almost immediately. And you have now there's how are you going to compete against this behemoth that is Twitter? So I, I think if something comes along, then it's going to be picked up fairly quickly. Will it survive? Maybe, maybe not. I think people are becoming a little bit jaded with different social media platforms, but I think they'll give it a try. Yeah, at, at that point, I would just stop playing the game outright because why wouldn't you want consolidation in regards to the content that you put out like people have suggested so many times you know oh you should make a tiktok in <clears throat> in accordance with your youtube that way you can you know uh you could like upload little shorts i'm like youtube already has that feature and functionality and to top that all off if someone really wanted to and this is i guess on a personal level of how the creator views his or her art Letting individuals cut, sample, and reproduce, okay? And that's why I make it so abundantly clear that I'm all for that, because what what in God's name am I going to do to stop people? Consistently flag people for, like, copyright infringement? What copyright infringement? You mean the copyright that's free to, to, free to narrate with music that I'm free to utilize? Like, what... Tell me, what fucking wall is there? Like, I'm trying to be as accessible as possible. And people are saying, oh, well, just go ahead and, you know, Patrick Star meme, pick it up and put it somewhere else. I'm like, do you know how much more work that is and how much more tiresome 
the people in my life that have really assisted me in like with with the YouTube thing, like I have a couple of individuals who have put together an entire discord didn't ask them to do it we're not paid for their efforts although they invariably should but there's sort of a creative clarity when it comes to audience building that like building an audience should be the last thing someone worries about no matter how many platforms you use whether it be one or a hundred and admittedly yes okay this podcast is of course, doubling back on that, given that you can input any RSS feed into one of the millions of podcast hosting websites, and your podcast and Mars on Life would invariably be shown on that website. Okay. That's fine. If you're going for something like a listener base that doesn't involve having to take the base file or the base audience and asking them politely as possible to migrate over, because invariably you're going to have people who have pushback you're going to have people that are like well i don't want to have to sign up for a new service in order to watch my content creator or my favorite content creator and that's why i haven't done that because simply put why what i need to if monetization different audience like you, you mentioned like the yes. audience thing, like yeah I, but... like, I talked about this with my siblings last night i can't remember mm-hmm. what we were ta- why we were talking about it but it's like I choose not to have a personal TikTok because I don't want to give China that much access to my information. Like I understand people like it and use it, but I don't particularly like that app, but I do have Instagram. There is YouTube shorts and there's Facebook where they'll still post their content where I will see it. So I Mm -hmm. will follow them there and they will still get a portion of that revenue that they don't get from me being on TikTok. It's it's diversifying and just trying to spread yourself out there as much as possible. And again, it's get it's the revenue sharing. Like if you post something on TikTok and you post it on Instagram and people see it in both places, you're getting double the money that you would in theory. In, in theory, theory, yes. Right. That's how but the that, practice is supposed to work. But that's only because you're making your you're making yourself more convenient to be shown. No, I mean it's you their may job not, at that point. Right. Well, it's their job at that point, which you know. Again, that could be a whole other podcast episode in and of itself. And while I do believe creators should be paid for their work, I just hate the fact that they have to go through so many hoops, you know, hills and valleys just to get there when all you can really do. And it's not it's not a, you know, a fix all. It's not a cure all. You can just grant your audience access to your content to reshare it on their behalf. And so many people are such bastards when it comes to that because people think, oh, my God, reposting my content is so bad. I'm like, why the fuck did you put it online in the first place to be shared and reshared and indubitably on other platforms as well? I remember I had this one instance where it's like, hey, do you mind if I like upload your like like clips or whatever on my tick this on my TikTok account? I'm like, I don't use the app. Sure. Yeah. It's not that I said that I gave her the okay to um, do that because I wanted to grow my audience. You know, I think audience growing is fine, but that's secondary. I think people are going to notice more so the fact that you stopped uploading or you stopped producing content. You probably see this in a bunch of other YouTube videos. I've noticed that a certain amount of percentage are not yet subscribed to the channel. Like, fuck off. Okay, if you want to subscribe, subscribe. If not, it's not that I don't care, but like 
That's not your prerogative. And I'm not going to be bent out of shape for people who click once, decide they like the video, and don't subscribe, or click once, decide that they don't like the video, and go away. Like, it's, it's not... It's not a thing that I worry about that so many other people do worry about. Like, I don't know why. It's I, their I always career. It's their livelihood. I mean, imagine if like this was your sole job to like you know you never even you know you never even touched a job application mm-hmm. for the real world, and you've been yeah. like, a Minecraft streamer since you're like a baby. So it's just like I understand that you don't know. You got to keep else. up with the times. Yeah, I understand that, but God, what a what a turbulent career path in that case you know i can't speak for everyone of course but like as someone who likes security i i couldn't do that like it's it's rough that would be rough i mean at that point they're making yeah. so much money that they don't even care that's true too yeah like the, the kid ryan's toy review or whatever ryan's oh World, my god he Man, never yeah. has to work a day in his life mm-hmm. so far as soon as he turns 18 as soon as he turns yeah. 18, he literally never, as long as his parents manage that money properly, he never has to work a day in his fucking life. He could squander like a million dollars a day, every day for as long as he lives. He will probably never run out of money. Yeah. I mean, that kind of leads into the argument where it's just like, hey, and then people have done theories on YouTube about this when it comes to these like toy review channels or whatever. You know, there's the argument of like, well, obviously, the kid can't consent to being in the video, number one. But number two, as much as people are sort of gluttons for punishment and gluttons for just overabundant spending and shiny new plastic, that's the type of content that gets viewers. And never work a day in your life the rest of your life. you know. So yeah. And also, your kid will never work a day in his life, too. It's not just the parents who are not going to have to work. It's the kid who's, right. who's got this nice nest egg. Oh, if he wants to go to it's college. Not, it's not even a nest at that point. It's a fucking, it's a Michael Jackson duplex villa. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's Martha's Vineyard. Like, so, I mean, at that point, like, what, what, where does the decision there? It's like, I guess, you, where does the decision to do that stop? And the I mean, as long as it's not abusive to the child, I mean, as long as right. he's enjoying it and they're not squandering his money. That's like, what, the, like you yeah. said, Sebastian, it's his face that they're using. Mm-hmm. to sell these videos to sell these products like as long as yeah. he's enjoying himself they're not pushing him too hard they're being smart about it yeah I mean, that's I, what the theories state that like oh my god is he enjoying himself and like at that point you end up I having mean, a yeah if i was a kid and i got to play with toys on the internet all day i i don't know if i would have a problem with it, it depends on how many takes they have to make it if they're forcing him to just smile and play along right if they're just letting him play yeah that seems like a dream as a child oh sure yeah but if it's like behind the scenes there no you're doing this take again you you didn't get it right you have to perfect it and he just has to smile and wave and is a very good actor about it then take the parents away from him him away from the parents and put him in a better home you have a lot of family channels on youtube who actually and i'll this will be the last point you have a lot of family channels on youtube who are actually accused of doing this um i think one of them was like daddy of five or whatever when that story came out when it was just familial drama outtakes that ended up being evidence in oh my god this person is using his entire family for views and monetization and even to the point i think it was like verbal and physical abuse too or like things 
you know, skeletons in the closet that basically came into came into light. And I'm like, okay, this is where the money can kind of get to the worst of some people, you know, and you sacrifice an entire family just to do it. And I'm like, wow, like I thought everyday divorces were bad, (laughs) you know, in regards to child psychology. Uh, I'll put a lid on it if it means we can just talk about yay and then we can uh, we can retire back into our separate hovels. I do, I do have one interest, like one you were we talked about, we briefly talked about like food and internet and just mm, a story that I yeah. meant to bring up last week, but I wasn't here last week. Right. Um, that I I thought was interesting just through my scrolls on Twitter while we're talking about Twitter and the internet. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a post from and this this got all huge numbers, fifty eight thousand likes alone plus like. 7,000 retweets, 7,000 quote tweets. Um, it's from Grinch 21188235, where they said before social That's media. It's not Logan, is it? I don't think it's Logan. Okay, okay. No, it's it's there's clearly too much melanin to be Logan. So it says before social media, Olive Garden, Red Lobster, Cheesecake Factory were all considered, he says weird, but were all considered solid places to eat. Somehow now everyone hates these places. Y'all be acting for the internet. And then someone replied with uh, or a tweet to that showing a clip of Anthony Bourdain like talking about how initially he was kind of on that bandwagon where Olive Garden and Cheesecake Factory were considered just kind of like garbage food. But then you stop and realize that like that's just kind of coastal frou-frou elitism and like foodie nonsense where a majority of the country who are working like maybe minimum wage jobs maybe just like kind of scraping by for them a night at olive garden for them a night at uh cheesecake factory for them a night at red lobster is considered a once in a while fancy dinner that like they can enjoy and it's it's an event for them and then you have people now on the internet kind of poo-pooing that and it becomes an issue of like now you're just being elitism and you're just being elitist and you're making fun of a majority how a majority of America eats. And this is creating that further divide of culture in between what is considered kind of coastal liberal viewership, like artsy fartsy nonsense, whereas opposed mm-hmm. to like the working class in the middle of the country. Um, and it was it's interesting to me. Like I never put it together, especially for, for these for these restaurants at least hating things just because the internet told them to. And then I realized, oh, it's kind of like how everyone hates Nickelback because everyone tells them to, or you hate pineapple on pizza because the internet tells you to. And it's just, it's further evidence for me. And I I didn't think of it in consideration of the whole Elon thing that we were talking about and like all that, but it's, it's further evidence to the impact of these social media sites and the impact of pop culture that you don't necessarily think about it first. And then you just kind of, go down that rabbit hole of where these cultural pervading opinions come from. And it's just people on the internet spreading something that they read and they don't actually have an opinion on, but they see the, that number, they see that 58,000 likes or something on a post. And they're like, huh, you know what? Maybe I don't like cheesecake factory as much. Um, I think it's, it's, it's weird how people, like I said, just choose to engage in that kind of thing. Like, I'm not sure what your stances are on it, but like, I don't like pineapple on pizza, not because Twitter told me so, but because I tried it and just didn't like it. But I had it two hours ago. But so. wouldn't think any less of either of you 
if you happen to like it. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I get it. Misery does indeed love company and people want to feel you know, self-aggrandizing and validated when they go onto Twitter looking for a problem and invariably find one upon asking nicely or not nicely in this case. But it's like, when did this become so goddamn important for people to care about? Like, I understand in the beginning of the pandemic, we basically had proverbial virtual gladiator matches where we had to test our ideas over the internet. That was probably the first thing that people did when the first chat rooms came to fruition, people arguing much to millions and millions of years ago where two cavemen were beating over the fact of who was going to get the first meat over the fire. I get it. Conflict is not a, it's not a new thing, but why it's, it's not it's important. Chasing. It's, it's clout chasing, but it's, it's not, it's not tangible is my point. Like people aren't seeing a deluge of money pour into their bank accounts for having one opinion or the other. But it's that notoriety on the internet. You see that number and it makes you feel seen and validated. You're shouting into the void and then the void is responding back with astounding numbers. And it's it's it gets to a point where you've espoused these views for so long that it becomes kind of entrenched in your personality and who you are and when you see someone disagree with your opinion then you take that personally and you feel the need to defend yourself because you've made it your personality to hold these views it's always just like when you go to cheesecake and the cheesecake tastes like cardboard and it's all lowercase yeah. and it's bad spell and it's just like that's what pisses me off too it's not just like actually the food at chilies is not very high quality it's just like oh when the burger tastes like sand so it's just like <laughs> That kind of it's stuff lo-fi. pisses me off. Yeah, it's because it's, it's people so... perceive lo-fi as being more organic. You're right. This is this yeah. is insider knowledge of how social media works here, but it's like companies are always pushing for that because it feels more organic. It feels like there's a person behind the account, and it feels like it's not been copywritten and gone through so many edits by the the copywriter also everyone thinks that people working in social media are interns they're not letting the interns post they're the interns are maybe giving ideas but the interns aren't the ones posting let me tell you that now um unless they're interning at a social media company but um like there's not interns at like wendy's tweeting out um it's a dedicated team but it's like um the, the the perception is is that if you post things that look lo-fi or like you you mentioned and you're just like this lowercase improper spelling it feels off the cuff it feels like oh i just fired this off and didn't really read it or tweak it it, it gives that idea that you're actually having a discourse with someone who's fallible like you it's and it gets that idea of like silencio brand stop talking you're not a person kind of territory here that you you see like i see a lot on my daily basis doing my nine to five because if it feels corporate it's not going to resonate with anybody because it's it's not a person it's an entity you know (laughs) you're right i never thought of it that way you know like all these fake posts yeah how many of them are really you don't think about it this way until you actually work in the field then it's like oh i see it now it's not something that's conscious for most people you see like wendy's tweeting funny shit and it's like huh, wendy's good old wendy's whereas then you see something from like let's say ea games it's like fuck you ea games you're a you're a corporate sludge ball <laughs> we know you're not people 
Yeah, that, that's one of those takes that I have where it's just like, I don't hate EA games because they put out bad games, although that doesn't help. I just hate the fact that like, hey, I'm not a big fan of sports games. And the reason I'm not a big fan of sports games is that even though I detest watching sports on TV, it's an activity that I could invariably go outside and do. You know, I can't live out my dreams of being Italian and smashing Goombas and killing turtles. But, you know, I you could God, God willing. So you could. that Mario Twitter account fire, man. I don't know. Fire, bro. <laughs> <laughs> And it's well, weird when I you have to like write in a persona as a brand. Like I, I had right. like the Batman account oh, yeah. had a different personality than the Superman account, had a different personality than the Wonder Woman account, had a different personality than the DC overall account. Oh, and it's keeping it's it's when you're writing. People are invariably giving themselves schizophrenia and they don't even know it, bro. How many how many layers of irony do you need before you just desensitize yourself from reality and drive off a cliff? Well, let's see how many accounts I had to manage at one time for DC. And oh, this God. is like not, not even like I'm not even counting across platforms. There was Watchmen. There was The Flash. There was Harley Quinn. There was Wonder Woman. There was Superman. There was Batman. There was DC. And I didn't manage them, but there was DC Kids. There was DC Superhero Girls. So at least nine, they were thinking about making more. There used to be one. Oh, I said I forgot to say Aquaman had one. There's 10. There, they were. They at one point had a Green Lantern one. They wanted to bring it back. You know, there's a nerd out there that's just like your tweet of your Superman account sounds like Golden Age, but that last tweet only Bronze Age would say that. Like, there's people out there who say that kind of stuff. It's fictional people. Like, oh no, it's not. It's not. If you read the comments, people internalize this shit. The thing I hated most about, no, not the thing I hated second most. The thing I hated most was doing numbers and reports, but it's the thing I hated second most about working on the DC accounts. And it, and it carried over to working on Lord of the Rings, but it's like the people who internalize this shit so much. And whenever something happens that, that again, I've talked about this before, when it doesn't fit in with their worldview of these characters, that's when they become racist assholes and they just spew the vitriol online. Before we we go down back the fandom hole, which I don't think we ye. need to, it's yeah, we, yeah let's go to well, ye. I think I, I think I feel like we've we've kind of gone long enough to not need to talk. We can about... talk about yeah at some other time, or we could just say fuck yeah, he's an anti-Semitic piece of shit. Like he used to make decent raps, but he doesn't anymore, and now he's just spewing anti-Semitic yeah. cadence of the void, which now people are are grasping and holding onto and posting signs over bridges in Los Angeles, which is inevitably perpetuating this insane need to tribalize and the conservatives were coming out of the woodwork to support him even though they probably wouldn't have given him a second glance until he came out for trump and then now you're seeing this cascading effect of of he said she said like tribal warfare in los angeles and then you, you now see the the detrimental effects of celebrity culture much like you've talked about before ad nauseum sebastian and you see things like the donda academy which wasn't even like a real educational system in the first place but people were signing up because of the balenciaga uniforms and the clout and the insane idea that if you get your kid next to Kanye then your kid will be famous in the future and now that these kids who were in this um, non-accredited academy in the first place have nowhere to go now because they just wasted a school year and that not only that but they're not even really closing down Donna Academy for good they're only closing it down until 2023 and they're still trying to make this a national brand and I don't understand why on God's earth anyone thought that Kanye should have a school in the first place when he continually espouses these conspiracy theory on just 
batshit views, but it's Kanye. He has connections to the Kardashians. So of course he, he, he's got something. He's got money. He's got clout. He's got fame. He's got that artistic genius. And you want to rub that because your kid is some kind of special fucking snowflake that can somehow make it in this world in Los Angeles. People are moving to for so they keep moving out here. And there's no room. Like I understand that you have to give yourself the shot, the dream. You're never going to win the lotto unless you buy the lotto ticket. But my God, there's, you don't have to kind of just, you don't have to, again, try to be, now be the next Kanye in order for your kid to be good. You could be the first Ryan's world kid toy reviewer. You could find your own niche in this goddamn world. You don't have to listen to Kanye and stop giving Kanye the clout of the news because if you keep giving him this this space and reporting on him, it's just going to get worse because you're giving him what he wants. You're giving the exposure. You're showing him to the conservatives and like, hey, I like this guy. Let me let me let me follow my views and align on them. But I, I just God damn fuck you, Kanye. I used to listen to your music, but I can't anymore because you are such a goddamn piece of shit. You need help. Why is it that Kanye is not under conservatorship, but Britney Spears was put under conservatorship for so long? And now Kanye is just doing all this nonsense. He's hurting his kids. Clearly, he's causing distress to his family. He's causing clear actual harm to the political and public discourse and spouting racism. But for some reason, Kanye is allowed to run free and not being put under conservatorship. I don't understand that. It is misogynistic and, and just bullshit all around. Fuck you, Kanye West. Hey, Ryan, Ryan, before you say anything, shut up. You can't top that. Episode over. Bye. I didn't know how long that was going to go. So at first I was going to be like, I, I didn't know how long that was going to go. Wow. Was, I agree with about three quarters of that. I actually agree with probably 98% of that, like outside of the genius part, but oh my God. He that used was... to be a very good rapper. I would, not, 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 maybe, maker, maybe yeah. a decent rapper. Oh my I God. liked his stuff in college. I, I would listen to a lot of his shit in college. Well, but like now it's just, I can't do it because like even as much as I enjoyed like listening to like Stronger, it's got that taint. It's kind of like how anything that Chris Pratt is in now will have the taint of Chris Pratt. Man, I'm watching some... I'm watching the Marnie movie just for Jack Black and Seth Rogen and Anya Taylor-Joy. I've told you this before. It's mostly Anya Taylor-Joy, but uh, Jack Black as Bowser, I think, is inspired. That was a better bar than Kanye's put out recently. That was, that was, <laughs> true. That was hot, man. That was off the cuff. I had no idea where I was going. Oh, man. Uh, I think to, to wrap this up uh, with some breaking news that I guess in a weird way kind of ties in with the, the final statement i wanted to use for mike davis uh i just got a news notification that touches upon something close to myself uh just this is from the ap brazil's electoral authority said sunday that luis inacio lula da silva of the leftist workers party defeated incumbent jair bolsonaro to become the country's next president and he actually part won. Of what, wow they well, let him at win least... <laughs> they let him well, win <laughs> That's just it's it. like that meme where it's like third world dictators when they receive 175% and it's uh Ronaldo like getting up and he's just like you know at the stage or whatever. <laughs> Go on. I'm so sorry. I mean, obviously we'll we'll talk more about it next week with our the beginning of our election coverage, um, which will be fun. I, I didn't think we'd be covering California and Brazilian elections, but hey, you know what? It's the world we live in. Andrew, I don't know if we should bring in any Massachusetts elections. Uh, we have a lot of Brazilian people here too. I wonder how they would feel. Oh, we, oh, we do. is a lot of people. Yeah. We, we, I have heard more Portuguese in the last couple of weeks uh, than I've heard probably 
since I was at CSUN. The news about Lula is definitely something that encourages people. Well, it definitely encourages me in terms of encourages me, encourages voters, encourages a lot of people around the world, given Bolsonaro is a very dangerous person and a very dangerous leader. Um, but it does tie into a concept that Mike Davis definitely thought as often as he could. Um, and I want these to be the final words to give tribute to him. And this was from an interview he did with The Guardian over the summer. What keeps us going, ultimately, is our love for each other and our refusal to bow our heads, to accept the verdict, however all-powerful it seems. It's what ordinary people have to do. You have to love each other. You have to defend each other. You have to fight. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Erberich, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going... You'll make it to Mars.